0: You're listening to What Were You Thinking With Eric McCoy, Paxton Dickerson, only on LA Talk Radio. Hey, this is Eric McCoy, and back. welcome back to What Were You Thinking? So I have my new uh, co-host today, and this is uh, my wife, Morella McCoy. Hello, I'm, hello. I'm very excited to have her here today. And just for informative purposes, our anniversary is tomorrow, we got five years, married, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's the only way to, for me to have done that was to be clean and sober. <laughs> <laughs> All the way, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then actually the following day after that is my seven years, clean and sober. And so that's, um, I wanted to, um, <laughs> I wanted to, yeah, you gotta look up. I wanted to uh, actually talk today about the topic that I know more than anything Mm -hmm. and it is addiction. And the reason I wanted to talk about it today was because my wife, I dragged her into the nightmare of addiction. When I met her, I had 10 years, 11 11 years clean and sober. Um, I I owned a business. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. And um, I kind of moved outside of that business, and then I decided to do something very dumb. And so I did end up relapsing. And But she had an opportunity to uh, see a nightmare, I think, that she never even knew existed.
1: Yeah, correct. It was. And, and just for understanding purposes, this was before we got married, and I still married him. So <laughs> that goes to show that there's improvement right and everybody
0: absolutely I wanted to ask you real quick um, on on that Um, you know my my one of my big goals in what what I do in general you know obviously with my podcast high walk clean and obviously even with this show um, is to look at and fight the stigma of substance abuse Um, you know there's a lot of misinformation out there there's a lot of hatred out there towards people that have drug and alcohol problems and you know some of the one of the f- things that people look at is, again, as drug abusers, it is weakness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I wanted to ask you your thoughts on
1: that. Do I think it's weakness? Yeah, to begin begin using drugs
0: to be to be stuck using drugs
1: absolutely not. it's it's it, it, I don't think it's a weakness at all. I think it becomes a um, in an addict's mind, the only thing that will keep them from being able to survive in life. And there is no other um, alternative, right? Um, I think that some addicts are, are actually one of the strongest people, you and, you, you, know, you included, um, that are able to overcome the strength that addiction has over you.
0: Yeah, so the book that I wrote, uh, Pain, Failure, and Misery are the Stepping Stones to Success, one of the main reasons i wrote this book was to hope hopefully kind of educate people right. on addiction and especially all of those people that really don't truly understand the immense power that that it ultimately has on you and i teach at a school and i've brought this up before uh new creation college where we work to uh where i get an opportunity to educate people that are working to become substance abuse counselors and of course one of the the uh, topics that we talk about is physiological effects, Mm -hmm. pharmacology and physiological effects of of drugs and alcohol. And I remember when I originally studied this and being somebody that had that drug dependency issue, it made sense to me. You know, it really, really made sense to me because it's a battle between, we were talking about this in the car, it's a battle between the old brain and the new brain. Mm -hmm. You know, the old brain is the survival part of the brain. And I had done a podcast recently with uh, a friend of yours yeah, that you know, uh, Jason. Jason. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, and we talked about methamphetamine. Of course, methamphetamine, mine and <laughs> yours. <laughs> and the power and the differences. And I and I really do see a lot of differences between methamphetamine and other substances, just in the sense of doing something that doesn't seem to be a problem.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, I started methamphetamine many, many years ago, back when it was uh, definitely very different than what you find today. And it was very powerful. And so I, and I remember putting this in my body and I could not find a single bad thing about it. Mm -hmm. It gave me focus, concentration. I had energy. I was, you know, everything that it gave me was good. There was nothing bad about it. And that's where the problem lies.
1: Right. And that's where a lot of people, and kind of we talked about this before too, where in the schools they're talking about don't do drugs, drugs are bad for you, and then you have somebody who tries it, especially meth, right, tries it, and they're like, what the hell are these people talking about? Yeah,
0: they're full of shit. This is
1: amazing. I feel amazing. I can get through And they, That is not when the addiction starts, right? Yeah. Like you are... And you could do it on occasion, or you know, whatever. But that euphoria you feel—that that I'm the top of the world, all your problems are gone—you know—all that stuff is what leads to that addiction. That's not because of weakness. No, that is because of the fact that it started out amazing.
0: And that's the—and that is what addiction is. Right. <clears throat> I mean, you know, if you—if nobody's going to do a substance, that feels horrible and is ultimately a miserable experience and continue to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. right, <laughs> right, absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, and of course there is the difference between even that with looking at heroin. You know, heroin, a lot of times you feel nauseous, it knocks you out, it puts you, you, know, put you to sleep, things like that. And so there are what some people could say, okay, maybe there are some negative aspects mm-hmm. to this. Right. Um, you know, you get drunk, you get highly intoxicated, um, you throw up you know all these different things but meth didn't do that right doesn't and it? that's again it's that's the the scary part and by the time you realize that it's a problem your body is dependent upon yeah, it absolutely
1: Absolutely. And, and and you can tell just in listening to our stories, right? Uh, it, the type of addict I was versus the type of addict you were. She
0: was way worse than I was. Uh
1: lies, all lies. Um one thing you need to know about Eric is he is a liar. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Um no, it's it's the levels of addiction is is incredible when you realize that you really see somebody who's really like, uh, I guess you hit that rock bottom and, and doesn't know how to get out of it versus somebody who thinks like I did, I've got it under control. I, I got a mm-hmm. job. I'm taking care of my kids. I, you know, I, I, I'm managing it, but yet didn't really realize that I couldn't get up in the morning without getting high. Right. right. My body needed that to be able to function right Mm -hmm. was i doing crimes was i running around the streets no there is some drug addicts that do that case in point you know um so it in in my mind it wasn't a weakness i didn't need it i can quit anytime i just don't want to quit right but in actuality yeah my body needed it
0: yeah we were kind of discussing you know the you know, the, looking at the differences between, obviously, people's behaviors and actually who they are as a person right. and how they really drastically can change. Right. And I will attest to that, and you so, know, as I will <laughs> from my from my personal standpoint. I don't know if I've said it on this show, but I've said it on you know my High Wall Clean podcast that, you know, when I'm clean and sober, I'll give you the shirt off my back. I'll do anything for you. I'll help you. I'll I'll, I'll drive long way distance to, you know, assist you in any way that you need and you put that meth into my body, and I changed instantaneously. Mm-hmm. I will rob from you, I will steal from you, and she unfortunately had an opportunity to witness the nightmare that surrounds me, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, you know, while I'm on methamphetamine. Um, I did commit an average of 10 residential burglaries a night. I define a lot of this stuff in my book, and I kinda talk about the, everything that revolves around this. Um, But I become that epitome of and it's not and what's interesting is, you know, even though so much of that time is very foggy in my head, you know, everything was about just making sure that I had my supply, just making sure that I had what I needed to make sure that I had the drugs and continue the drugs.
1: Yeah, you know, we uh, Eric and I have been doing a lot of TV watching, right, Um, because of this pandemic, as you all know. And we started watching this show called Supernatural, which is now like, I think almost over, but it's like 15 seasons long. So if you've, if you've seen it, you've seen the season where one of the main characters, Sam, no longer loses his soul. (laughs) I would attest that Eric had no soul when he was out getting, getting clean or getting, getting clean, (laughs) uh, getting high. And That is the best way that I can describe if I had met Eric when he was getting high first prior to meeting him, um, I wouldn't have given him the time of day. I fell in love with somebody who was clean and sober and had so much, so much ambition and so much, just tons of goals. And he wanted to do so many things. And when he relapsed, um, unfortunately I relapsed with him. Um, but Slowly, slowly did I start to see his soul leave his body. I could see in his eyes the pain that he was, the conflict he was having, but the person he was was slowly dying. Um, and and yeah, it was it was a pretty tough six months, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it was. It was now. So I want to ask you a question mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you you have a different perspective on. The, the addictive aspects. Now, if we were to kind of compare and contrast the addiction level that you have versus
1: what you have, the addiction, <laughs> and
0: again, yours is far worse than mine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you
1: know, maybe you're right because I was able to hide it a lot better.
0: There you go.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean,
0: no, but I wanted to ask you a question regarding um, any insight that you might have into why can some people do it and others can't? Why can some people, you know, be able to do less of it to be able to stop versus people like me that never went to sleep? I mean, I did methamphetamine until I passed out. You know, I would go into like states of psychosis in a in a sense.
1: Well, I think a lot of it has to do with just, just your mindset and, and um, not, no, not your mental mindset, but your body chemistry, right? Like I think there's there's people out there that body chemistry is so different that their bodies react differently to even Tylenol, right? So I, you know, prime example. You can take something on an empty stomach. You know, I can't. As soon as I take something on an empty stomach, I I feel like I gotta vomit. You know, um, like Tylenol or ibuprofen or whatever. Um, and so I think a lot of it has to do just with our chemistry. So. I think that's where people start to believe that they um, that are not addicts or you know family of an addict that it's a weakness, mm-hmm. right? I think that's where they start to believe that it's a weakness. It's not. We don't know how our bodies are going to react. You know, you have so many people who don't want to do the vaccine for COVID, right? That they they're anti-vaxxers because they're they're afraid of how their bodies are going to react. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's other there's other of course other sure. underlying issues to that, but
0: other agendas other
1: agendas to that, but. They're just, a f- they're, they're not sure how the body's going to react. And, um, and so they don't want to do it. Right. So they're skeptical. Well, when you do meth for the first time, or you do heroin for the first time, you don't know if your body's going to react the same way as your best friend down the street, who's doing it too, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so this is what I realized when, when we both relapsed together, right. Is your body reacted completely different than mine. I was able to get, take sleep every night. I didn't have that craving to stay up. I didn't have that need to stay up and, you know, do crimes or even stay up and, you know, clean the house. It was like, okay, I I put the kids to bed. I stayed up and did some whatever, did whatever around the house. And then I ended up falling asleep, you know? Uh, So it was that need for me was not the same as the need for you.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because that that's an interesting uh, concept, and I think it's important for everybody to think about. Just because something happens to you in a certain way does not necessarily mean that it happens to everybody else. Right. You know, um, and and I think that I think that's part of where like the hatred comes into play. You know. Or you have the people that have done cocaine for a little bit of time, then they're able to stop. You know, Sigmund Freud was a great example, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit of cocaine, come up with some crazy theories, uh, Oedipus complex, and <laughs> right, <laughs> and then he was able to stop, right? Well,
1: we talked also about cigarettes. I mean, just just plain cigarettes. Right. You know, Eric's a big smoker. I, I've smoked. I smoked with him, and when I said, all right, I want to stop, I stop. I, I, I don't have that. Um, that need for the nicotine the way that Eric does or the way another smoker might so and there's and I have friends that are smosh- social smokers they only have a cigarette or two when they're when they're out drinking and you know so their bodies are different than you know my body chemistry and what my needs are um in my chemistry is different than the needs that your chemistry has mm-hmm. right um the funny thing is it always ends up being it it, it always ends up turning into being addiction regardless of how our body chemistry reacts right so I realized I ended up having a problem I hit my rock bottom you hit your rock bottom and it we got there and we got there doing taking different paths but we ended up on the same
0: we ended up in the same place mm-hmm. which we did right um, I had a much more difficult path yeah. um, and a lot of it too had to do I think with the amount I was doing yes um, you know by buying it by the quarter pound I was you know slamming over an eight ball a day, mm-hmm. you know, even four into five grams a day, um, <clears throat> which definitely um, makes your body become physically dependent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the difference between, you know, a lot of people think, oh, the physical dependence, heroin, but no, methamphetamine creates a tissue dependency just like any other drug. Mm-hmm. It Neuroplasticity changes the way your body works, it, um, and then it gets to a place to where it requires the drug to function to be able to do anything, to be able to get up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is that dependency. And that's where, I, you know, and I always like to say, and I always say that drugs are fun when you choose to do them, but when you have to, the fun's gone. The
1: fun's gone.
0: And uh, and at that point in time, your tolerance is way up. You're not really getting the pleasure anymore from it. You're just doing it to ultimately maintain. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, again, the way our educational, you know, you were talking about with the teaching of kids and, you know, I have said this before. I don't know. I said this on here, but I've I've had this idea, and I'll say this on here. I've had this idea, and I have actually reached out to uh, the governor of California. I get absolutely zero response. Right, I've crickets. been trying to get a hold of this guy for a long time, just to get a at least get a fuck you email back, <laughs> but I don't get anything. Um, I've reached out to you know other um, legislative people, and you know don't don't really seem to get any response, but. And, and the idea that I have is, I know it will never work. I know they'll never go for right? right? But my mentality and idea is that I want to go into a school and I just want to look at the kids and I just want to say, let's get high.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love to get high. Not on drugs, right? But I love to get high. To be able to set up a, a huge event somewhere. You know, we could run it like the rave, you know, where you, you, you if anybody ever remembers old school raves, <laughs> you know, they'd, they'd t- go talk to one person and have to talk to another person then go talk to this person and to get the directions to the <laughs> to the, rave. To the actual place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to do something like that in a, in a uh, way to show people what highness really is. Mm-hmm. Highness comes from within. It's not, you don't get high on drugs. We get high on our own chemicals right. and that's the premise of it. And that's right. the exciting thing about it.
1: Well, like I said, it goes back to, uh, we've had this discussion before, right? The more that we say drugs are bad, the more that we say sex is bad Mm. to our youth, the more they're going to want to do it. So let's be honest with them, right? Let's be honest and say, yeah, no, when you first start doing drugs, it feels amazing. But nobody has started doing drugs and have come out on the other side like rainbows and sunshine okay they're they've had to struggle mm-hmm. right and teach them about the physiolo- physiological effects of meth of the uh, of heroin or you know this is this is what could happen to you mm-hmm. right be honest with our children i think that's what our biggest problem is right and and sex is the same way you know people you know uh hate Planned Parenthood as you know I I work for Planned Parenthood I am a Jesus. advocate for them you know <laughs> and, and and to me it's because so many of our children in the world right now are afraid to go to their parents and talk to them about the 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 feeling of wanting to have sex it's not a natural it is an absolute natural feeling to have a sexual desire, sexual cravings, it's okay, but they're so afraid to go to their parents that they come to Planned Parenthood to have that safe discussion with a um, clinician or a provider about their options, right? Mm-hmm. And so some they're so afraid to even go back in, and say, okay, so I didn't listen to you tell me when you said not to have sex, and I did, and now I'm pregnant, now what do I do? So then you have a you know whole bunch of other things. It's the same. So and drugs are the same way, right? The mm-hmm. more you tell your kids, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, they're gonna do it.
0: Well, and I was thinking about I was thinking about this recently too. Is that, you know, as I was saying, you know, when I started doing methamphetamine, it felt good. Everything was good. Everything was positive, right? And I thought, I literally believed in my mind that this was gonna be like this forever.
1: Yeah, yeah You know you that do.
0: I can do it today, it's gonna be like this. I'll do it tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. It's gonna feel the same. But I was never educated on that. All I mean right. I, and I don't know if any would have changed, but knowing no, no, me probably not. But <laughs> but the but the reality being is that, you know, I there was never any education in that. What was the education? Just say no.
1: Right. right? It's well, just say no.
0: Just say no, again, take, it fails to take into account the mind's desire to want to understand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what, you know, I want to understand. Yes. And especially as kids, you know, you could say no, I say yes. I mean, that was the way I was. Yeah. You say no, I say yes. You say yes, I say no. Right. <laughs> right. That, yeah. <laughs> but, and, and, but. <laughs> and a lot of
1: rebellious teens are that way. And so the more you're saying no, the more they're going to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and at the end, of there, there comes a point, right, where they're no longer listening to the parents,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're listening to their buddies. Yeah. So I could say no till I'm blue in the face, but their buddy says, you know what, my mom said it's cool. Right. Or you know what, I let's go do this. And they're gonna listen to them, they're not gonna listen to, to the parents anymore. And that was a real, cruel reality for me, raising three boys, mm-hmm. right? And, and I always told my oldest, don't do drugs. I never said because drugs were bad, I said, don't do drugs because your grandparents were addicts, your parents were addicts, you know, it's in your blood to become an addict, so don't even try it, it's not even worth the risk, mm. right? I thought I was being smart. But he did anyways. Yeah, you know. I thought I was being smart, right, by telling, being honest with him and being like, it's mm. just not a good thing to start because, and did he listen to me? No. No, he did what he wanted, and you know, knows that he was living on the streets for, you know, as far as I know, about a year and, you know, lost touch with him for six months, didn't know where he was at. And, you know, thank God that he was able to get himself out of it and I'm super proud of him. And Alex, if you're listening, mom loves you. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it doesn't matter how much you say, no, don't do it, or how you mm-hmm. tell him, right? The choice is theirs, they're gonna make it, right? right? and the more you tell them it's taboo and that it's horrible and that don't ever don't i don't even want to talk about it just don't do it because i'm your mother and listen to me right. the, the less the more likelihood that you're going to fall into that trap
0: and i have an issue with just all the parents out there that are like well this is just the parents responsibility it, you know yeah. this is the parents responsibility to teach what about the parents that are using drugs
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know what about the what about the the kids that are being bol- molested by their parents or
1: the absentee parents you know, right they're or the
0: absentee parents you know and so And that's where I think there should be a combination of, you know, that I think it's completely selfish for all the parents, let's say that are good parents that say, oh, we just need to all do this at home and not do it in school. Think about those that are getting screwed up. Mm -hmm. Think about all the kids out there that are living with parents that are doing drugs, that are doing alcohol, that are raping their kids sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, which we'll get into another episode because my wife has actually has an amazing story with her upbringing related to mm-hmm. this this topic. And so we'll get into that at another time. Hey, I want to point out real quick that um, if anybody is interested in calling, we definitely want to know what you were thinking. What were you thinking? The phone number is area code 323-203-0815. Again, 323-203-0815.
1: Yeah, we'd love to hear their thoughts on... You know, do you think that drug addiction is a weakness?
0: You Absolutely. Know? I'd love to
1: hear what people have to say about it, you know, and, and, and not just because you've been on drugs, but maybe your perspective of somebody who hasn't been on drugs before and why they feel there's a, it's a weakness, right? Uh, you know, we, we live in a,
0: you know, in our society today, you know, we have different views of this illness, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the disease, the, the, the disease idea, you know, that it is a disease and um the interesting thing about that is you have all these treatment programs that teach it's a disease, but they don't treat it as a disease right you're right, okay? right right um, you relapse, we throw you out, you know mm-hmm. you uh you know they um, you know do not treat you as if you have an illness. they treat you as if it's a behavior right right and um. And, and looking at you are a bad person sometimes. Right. I mean, I've worked at a lot of different treatment programs, and uh, the views of the clinicians and the people that work there uh, make it, I think, honestly difficult for people who want to stay.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of judgment, right? It, it, and, and especially when they have clinicians or... Um, You know therapists that are there that do not have that history and this is why the drug and alcohol counselors are so important because most of the time they have that history they're they are empathetic to what you're feeling because they have felt it too right Mm -hmm. um but there is that there's there's not a really good way to say okay this is a disease so we're going to treat it like a disease there's no there's no um medication you can take that's going to cure this disease, right? So it, it becomes a strength that you have to pull through. And yes. it is, and I think that people fail to understand it mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. easy. So you have probably heard many stories of addicts who have come in to get clean, they fail, they come in to get clean, they fail. I mean, my own son, I think went into rehab maybe five times, mm-hmm. right? And then was there starting to look really good, getting better. And off he went, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't think that's a weakness. I think that's a fear, right? They they got so used to ha- living this life of chaos. Well,
0: it goes to the idea, like number one is, do they want to get clean? Right. I mean, that's well, there's the, that the, that's the you other know one. that's yeah. the one side, and I'll say honestly, you know, like with smoking, I like smoking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it and, you know it was it's it's bad for you. It's it's unhealthy. I like smoking. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the challenge comes into, into it for me. Right. You know, um, you know, my, my addiction, of course, you know, and especially after my relapse, I mean, I went down quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I went from up here to below the,
1: it was definitely not a gradual
0: decline. Decline. <laughs> no, it was, it was bad. It was quick. It was brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, I got kicked in the head. I literally had to get kicked in the head and I literally right. did get kicked in the you head. Did. <laughs> and, uh, and this is something I like to tell people too: is that you know, and I honestly to tell you the truth: if I can do it twice, I know you can do it once. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had to go through that. Now, granted, the, the first time that I took it seriously back in two thousand and two, I was in custody, so right. that, that sort of
1: helped push you.
0: Can't be locked down long enough to be able to get it out of my system and right. help with the cravings, but that that is the suffering is the cravings mm-hmm. that's the true suffering you know i teach you know i teach uh, you know, I teach, um, uh, Do- uh dr Kevin macaulay right he did uh, the video um uh, Drunk and no, no um yeah what's the video he did he did uh uh, anyways, I can't remember. But anyways, he's, uh, he used to be the, uh, the medical director of Sober Living by the Sea, and mm. he's always educated on uh, the disease concept. Is addiction really a disease? And so he uses um, Horvath's Dilemma. They call it Horvath's Dilemma as the, the best argument against addiction being a disease, right? And what it says is that addiction is a choice. True diseases do not involve choice. At times, the addict can summon the willpower to not use while the diabetic cannot, yeah, and that's true. That's very true. But the one thing that it fails to take into account is cravings, mm-hmm. and cravings are the true suffering of the addict.
1: It's the memory, right? Like,
0: well, it's the uh, and it and it's not only it's not only like the the mental no, memories, no, the physical memory. but it becomes physical. You know, it. I correlated at one time. I was I talked about. I think I'm. I don't know. One of my other shows, I was talking about uh, the correlation between food. Okay, so food, you know, between like, the, you know, we have this old brain and we have the new brain. The old brain is the pleasure part of the brain, it's the nucleus accumbens, mm-hmm. a specific part. And that is the pleasure, the reinforcing part of the brain. When you do something that feels good, you naturally want to do it again, right. and continue doing it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a survival thing. When you take a shit, you get a release of dopamine a reality it's, it's true. a survival thing right um when you eat food you get a release of dopamine when you're thirsty you drink water and you go and you go and you get that like feeling right That oh. especially
1: on those hot days yeah
0: that's dopamine right mm-hmm. that's giving you that feeling now that survival process we need to remember mm-hmm. okay because if we didn't have memory then we would go through that thirst Whatever thing, and we would have no idea how to how to satiate that. Absolutely right? right. Right. So we have this memory, which is actually the amygdala, which is the emotional memory,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, and so and this is also the part of the brain where, again, like traumatic events get stored. You're in a car accident you know that that memory gets ingrained in the amygdala and then you're driving in the car and then somebody puts on the brakes too quickly and you're like you know (laughs) gotta grab grab everything you know
1: mentioning what had just happened about an hour ago (laughs) when you were driving (laughs) (laughs)
0: and uh so that memory right and um and so because of your drug use which is sitting on the survival part of the brain that's Mm -hmm. exactly what you're doing is the survival that drug becomes No, it's not. But within within us, that's the belief that we ultimately have. That's in our unconscious part of the brain, the part of the old part of the brain we don't have any co- any control over. Right. That's your emotional stuff. You do have control over your emotions, but but um, you know your your uh, limbic system, your emotions, uh, you know the um, the pleasure part of the brain, the fight or flight aspect comes from that, right? And so when you when you do these things, and so with food, you eat food, that you're hungry, that go switch kicks on in the old part of the brain, you start eating food. Once you hit the satiation point, you're full. The stop switch, which is in your prefrontal cortex, which is the cognitive part of your brain, kicks in, and you stop eating, mm-hmm. okay? For some reason, there's a, a uh, broken part to this system. Mm-hmm. And that go switch doesn't shut off. It doesn't turn off, right? And so, but you also have all of this memory. So, you know, when I went to Tarzana Treatment Center, which was the most difficult thing for me to do, mm-hmm. was I was literally fighting and screaming all the way there. <laughs>
1: you slept most of the way there, but I'm sure <laughs> in your s- mind you trying were...
0: to stick a needle in my arm that I you know, Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and so, but we get there and um you know, and I want to I want to say this to all the people out there that you know are really really struggling with um, drug abuse and I know unfortunately a lot of the people that I would like to be talking to are probably not listening to the show.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> and as I always say that on my podcast too a lot of the people probably aren't listening to the podcast but, but there's, the ones that I like to it will get to them when they're ready, yeah. Um, but for those people you know i understand the difficulty i understand how difficult it is to get off of it you know methamphetamine it's the depression the depression is so intense and so immense it's it's almost to the the level of suicidal right, right. you know i i am you know your emotional the stability goes away. You know, I'm crying at Hallmark commercials. I mean, anything just start breaking into tears. Oh yeah. How am I feeling this? I've yeah. been numb for months and years, mm-hmm. and all, all of a sudden it all flushes
1: I'm black. It's like a uh, the the dam broke. Yep. It's absolute yep. dam broke. And you yes. don't
0: feel good, and you go, "I know what'll fix this," yep. and that's where the problem mm-hmm. lies, you know. And that's, I know what's going to fix this, and then all of a sudden, none of this seems to matter anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the reality. I tell my, I tell you know my my students all the time. You know, the funny thing with treatment too is, you know, we're is that we, uh, you know, ha- are we have people coming in to work on a problem they don't think they have to learn from people they don't think they're going to learn from.
1: Right. It's, absolutely. it's right? It's true, and and so again, you know you go through all these struggles, right? You Mm -hmm. go through this, you try to get clean and then you get the memory and you go, I know exactly what I can do to fix this Absolutely, right? Yep. So let's say you finally get past that. You finally get past the depression, all right, I'm getting to the point where I can start picking up the pieces and and you're driving down the street maybe to a job interview or something like that, you know, just something to start picking up your feet and you feel the urge of the feeling physically of how great or how physically amazing that drug made you feel. Yeah. Right. You can literally taste it in your mouth at times. You can. Right? Yep. And
0: And that's where the relapse is. And happened, that's when you're you like,
1: know? driving your car about and yep. I, I wonder if this guy's number still works, yep. right? And so again, not a weakness. You are literally fighting your own body. You are. Yeah. To try to get to a better place in life. Mm-hmm. Right. And And I don't
0: believe, you know, I I teach my counselors this too. It's like, you know, don't, let's eliminate ever using the word denial, Mm -hmm. right? They're in denial because denial honestly is an excuse for clinicians not to work very hard. They don't have to work very hard. You're in denial. Let's just just roll with that. You're in denial, Mm -hmm. right? If I could actually get, help people see the reality behind their situation, then they're not in denial anymore, you know? And but again, it goes back to I can't tell anybody anything. There's nothing I can say to anybody, without them seeing it for themselves. Right,
1: and you can't, and and um, yeah, you definitely, you definitely can't make anybody do that. And I know that oh too well, having a child who, you know, has, has gone through addiction. Two. Well, you and you and my oldest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and my and our other son. Our stepson, uh, or my stepson. Um, But no matter how much you try, no matter... No, I was saying me. Oh, so you and my stepson and my son, so three.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty much a child back, you know, when I was... You really were. I was pretty much a baby.
1: (laughs) I just got to say this, okay? I'm not saying I'm the reason why Eric got clean, okay? But let's... The last day that I picked him up before he left to go to the treatment center... I was moving out. I was it. It was done. We were leaving. Uh, I packed up my kids. We're out of here. I wasn't about to lose my kids. I had to get clean myself. Changed my number the whole nine yards. He was supposed to meet up with his parents. His, mo- his mother calls me and says, do you know where Eric's at? And I said, I don't know. Well, you know, It's over between us. He's probably out. And She said, well, he was supposed to meet us, which I knew he wasn't going to meet them. I was absolutely sure he wasn't going to meet them. And I'm with my best friend in the car. We're trying to pack up my apartment, get out. I get off the phone and I I looked at her and I said, I'm going to call him and I'm going to guarantee you the first thing that will come out of his mouth is there's no reason for me to get clean if you're leaving me. And I called you, you pick up the phone. I said, hey, your mom's trying to get a hold of you. What are you doing? Well, I'm not about to get clean since you decided to leave me. And I was like, you are like a two-year-old child, pretty much. And and it, and it, so that just kind of reminded me of that story when you said you were the other child. Because <laughs> it's true. You, I was, I could not believe that. You know, of course, it was, you know. Well, and
0: that's the problem with with the uh, the flip side of drugs. I mean, you know, it's it's taken over your brain. Also affected you know Mm -hmm. and so you know your ability to think clearly to make good decisions all of that stuff goes away
1: Mm -hmm. well and 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 to my point it's a blame game everybody else is making a big deal about your drug addiction i'm fine i don't have a drug addiction okay you all are the ones that have the problem and so mentally you don't you can't believe that you are the problem right everybody else just leave me alone i'm an adult i can do my own thing right and so, um, so that's another aspect to it as well, you know, until you are able to really be truthful with yourself and say, I have a problem. No matter how many people around you tell you you have a problem, mm-hmm. you're not going to believe it.
0: You know, the, there's a couple of things that um, when I look back that played a big part in me working on healing myself. And the Probably the most important was was be, taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, removing the blame. Everybody else's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. Couldn't be my fault. Right. You know, my my 2001, you know, arrested four times in six months. You know, one of the arrests, I had weed planted on me by the cops. That's illegal. Mm-hmm. Right? Shouldn't have the ability to, to arrest me. The third arrest, I was raided by the task force without a search warrant. Right. They took me into custody, right? Put me in jail, I had to post bail again. It cost me thousands of dollars, right? But they're the police, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, gonna find I don't the follow police. the rules, but you know, they... they But the truth being is that, you know, for me to have been able to get through that, I had to change and alter my perspective of it. Right. I had to change my perspective. I had to look at things, I had to look at the world differently. You know, I could say today, in wholehearted honesty, that I am grateful for those cops.
1: Oh yeah, I bet they
0: planned on me. So what? I wouldn't have been in the position if I hadn't been doing what I was doing, anyways. Right. You know, um, the task force that raided me definitely would not have been that position if I hadn't been doing what I was doing. Right. <laughs> and so there's where the responsibility comes into play. But that was the first step to it all for me. Mm-hmm. You know, before I did that, I felt imprisoned. And yeah, I mean, I was in custody, but uh, but freedom is something that is actually an internal process. It's internal freedom. You can be in, you know, locked up in the most maximum security prison possible and you can still feel free. Because freedom is not anything external that it all comes from within. And I realized that, Mm -hmm. that's what I learned at that time was, you know, until I basically took responsibility and said, you know what, this is me. It's not my parents' fault. It's not God's fault. You know, it's always God's fault, right?
1: Right, it's always God's fault. <laughs> Daddy didn't love me enough. Mom didn't give me enough hugs. Right, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. we all have our stories, mm-hmm. you know. We all have the stories of, of some trauma that happened in our lives and some that we may not have even faced, mm-hmm. right, that are still kind of hidden behind that memory wall. right? Yeah. And they, um, but in the end of the day, the choices are ours regardless of what happened to us the choices are ours and we have to fight through them and uh, you know quitting drugs if you if somebody has been sober for longer than you know three months pat them on the back Mm -hmm. because they are really working through a whole a whole body you know fight against their own body a fight against their own mind and they're working so hard towards a better life for themselves. Mm-hmm. And don't punish them when they fall flat on their feet. I mean, s- keep your distance in, in the sense of, I'm not gonna enable you, right? right? But don't kick them when they're already down. Right. You know, it's just that one step forward to, to getting better, right?
0: And, you, and, and the truth is, is I mean, they're never gonna get better unless they decide. Right. You know, unless they make the decision. But, pain helps. It does. You know, the title of my book, "Pain, Failure, and Misery," are the stepping stones to success. Without pain, I wouldn't know pleasure. Right. Right. Without failures, I wouldn't know success. Right. And uh, you know, and, and obviously, I was you know, misery is optional, but failure doesn't even exist either unless you give up. You know, and that was my story, and 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 I trust me, I felt like a failure. You know, and. Having eleven years clean and sober, I've been program director, oh, executive director, uh, you know, own program. I was, you know, d- alternative sensing, working with the judges, the DAs, you know, became friends with the district attorney yeah. who was trying to send me to prison for seven years, eleven years earlier. Well, and I had seventeen
1: <laughs> years of sobriety, three kids, you know, um, and I don't even really even know why I trusted. That was just going to be a weekend thing, you know, and, and manipulation. Read, yeah. That's a whole other Oprah that we can talk about <laughs> later. Um, but, it, you know, it's. Oh, yeah, I, got, I
0: got a story for everyone. We'll, we're not going to touch on that today, but I definitely uh, got some good stories on that one.
1: <laughs> we're never. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much time has passed from your original addiction. Right. Right. right you're very vulnerable to forgetting the pain that was caused because you can go 11 years and do amazing. Yeah. And one little trip, one little accidental fall. Yeah. And you're right back to where you started at square one, right? Absolutely. I'm very fortunate that I didn't lose my children, that I was, that I was strong enough inside me, loved myself and my kids enough to know I had to get out of the situation I was in to be able to Gather my family around and say, okay, there's a problem here, mom, dad. I'm moving back home, you know, <laughs> even though I didn't physically move back home, but closer to home, yep. you know. So, it and people who don't know me would never have a clue, you know. They, they see me as, you know, uh, an independent, strong woman with a good career and all that. And they see you, you know, intelligent having you know able to teach a class and having all the getting all this exciting podcast and radio stations and stuff like that if we had never told our story of survival of being able to get past these addictions they would never have they wouldn't know just by looking at us right,
0: right? absolutely you know the when we look at so you know addiction is powerful mm-hmm. right it's very very powerful and those that you know are really struggling with it you know there's not always an easy way to go about doing this you know sometimes you got to just go and just grab on hold Mm on don't Mm -hmm. let go just grab on to somebody Mm -hmm. you know we were talking to sam before here you know and we were talking about the 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 um you know a a support having people you know good people that are there for you that can help you you know that can help guide you i want to mention too real quick that you know anybody can always reach me uh, my email address is e m c c o y e mccoy at highwallclean.org or also uh recovery ecosystem at gmail.com probably have a whole bunch of other emails but yeah you know.
1: you, he's about like 20 of <laughs> them they all become junk i only really check one. a few of them
0: but uh, and uh but people can always reach out to me you know if uh if they just need somebody to talk to um you know and uh but it, but it is a difficult task, but it is possible. And it's one of the things that I love to show, you know, even with my, my podcast, High Wall Clean, is having people on there that have been through it, that have been dragged through the depths of hell, you know, that are now standing tall with their head hell high, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna, I'm working on having some guests here. Um, I'm gonna get Jeremy Jackson out here. Uh, which I've just been talking to him. He's the, he was the the child on Baywatch, David Hasselhoff's son. Um, and uh, and so I'm looking for some, you know, lineup guests that I'm ultimately going to have out here. But partly, again, to show that it is possible.
1: It is. You uh, and you don't need a lot of money. You no. don't need fame. Like, you know. No. I mean, you, you can Actually, get through it. Yeah. You can get through it. Absolutely. Right. And I, and you know, I I don't mean to be partial because I am his wife, but really some really great stories have come out of your podcast that I've listened to and, and listened to the, um, you know, the person you're interviewing and just amazing stories of survival. So it's not even about addiction. It's just being able to survive the world that we're living in with the stuff that has happened to us in our upbringing, in our lives, in the. Things that we're, we are harder on ourselves mentally than mm-hmm. anybody could be on ourselves, right? And so we've all had to learn to love ourselves. And you don't have to be a recovering drug addict to learn to love yourself, right? And,
0: and if you are out there struggling, right, and if you, if you have a chemical dependency issue, you could possibly be the luckiest person in the world because you may get an opportunity to work on things that other people don't. Right. You may get an opportunity to look at look within yourself and to become a better, healthier person than the people out there that don't have those problems.
1: That may not have the addiction, but want to ignore any of their mental health.
0: 100%. Right. And and the truth, you know, I mean, we could do another whole whole show on, um, you know, behavioral addictions. Mm-hmm. You know, even out even things outside. Everybody does something in extreme. I mean, that's just the nature of it, you know. But you can move into, you know, workaholics. You know, Eric. You got <laughs> workaholics <laughs> yes I do that um, that uh, you know gambling addicts sex addicts you got the, the um, you know the shopaholics eating the hoarders,
1: hoarders you know
0: the eating disorders all of these different things and honestly they're all the same and actually if you look at it physiologically same part of the brain Right. you are doing exactly the same thing you're just doing it with the behavior Versus a chemical and behavioral addictions, you look it up in the DSM five. They are exactly the same. All the symptoms exactly right. the same, except one: tissue dependency. The only different, you mm-hmm. won't become tissue dependent on gambling, no. but it will destroy your life.
1: It will, you
0: know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's it's absolutely. Um, but there is hope. Mm-hmm. You know, there is hope, and there are think, good yeah. programs out there. I am somebody that I don't believe in solutions. I believe in ideas. Solutions get us stuck. Once I find a solution, there's no m- point in looking any further because we've got the solution. The problem with that is everybody's different. Right. You know, people learn differently, people experience things differently, people have different belief systems yep. and different ideas and they work differently and and so there's all kinds of different don't get stuck on just there's only one thing, right? You know?
1: well, and that's another thing like, it, you know, I got clean and sober without a program.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. You got a program. I got I did it without a program. Mm-hmm. Um, neither one is right or wrong. Right. But I had support. Right. I had somebody I can go to and talk to when I was feeling like, okay, I'm going to lose it. Right.
0: That's the key. So
1: that. Yeah. And so that's what I was going to say. So for those of you who are listening that either are an addict or a family member of an addict or something like that, and they just don't want to do the program, you know, or they they just are not good with the going to the NA meetings or the AA meetings or whatever program that that's around them. Just find them that support. That, that one or two people they can just pick up at one o'clock in the morning. I'm having a hard day. Mm-hmm. I am craving really bad or whatever. Or can I just can we just go get coffee? Like I, I don't even want to talk about getting clean. I just I just want to talk to somebody mm-hmm. because that camaraderie. Com- com- comrad- Thank you. Can never say that <laughs> right. I know what it means, but I can't say it. That right there is so valuable, and that's why we're having so many problems now because so many people are isolated at home. They were, you know, didn't have that connection. And no matter how much you are a, lo- a loner, you still need that one person at least to have that connection with mm-hmm. in order to get yourself through the hump, right? Yeah. So just just know that there is help out for you out there. You know, there's people like, you, like Eric said, you know, email him, say, hey, I, I, I wanna get clean and sober but I really don't want to do this whole group thing. What other suggestions do you have for me? And then, you know, stuff like that. There's
0: all kinds of, you know, they said statistically 40% of people in recovery have never gone to rehab, nor a 12 step program. So obviously there's other options, you know, and there's different things that you can do. Um, One thing I want to end with too, and I, we're pretty much out of time here, but I was like, you know, for those of you that are out there struggling, and those of you out there hurting, I may not know you, but I love you because of the pain that you're going through, and I understand it, and uh,
1: and,
0: and there is hope. And uh,
1: Don't let go of that hope. It's there. It is. Even when you really have, n- you can't see your hand in front of your face, it's there.
0: Absolutely. Well, honey, I want to thank you for doing this today.
1: Absolutely. had a great time. This was great. And
0: uh, we're definitely going to get you back. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening again to the show. What were you thinking? I'm hoping at some point in time we'll start getting some callers so we can find out what the fuck were you thinking. (laughs) Right? What the fuck were you thinking? (laughs) Right. Let's do it. All right. Thank you. We'll see you next week.
1: You're listening to